Welcome to the Megavision Show, episode 100. My name is Chris Powell, and I'm the editor of Megavisions. We have a great show for you this week. We welcome back longtime Megavisions cover artist Sketchcraft, where he's here to discuss his cover art for issue two, which features Psychonauts 2, and he's here to talk about why that's his game of the year for 2021. In addition to that, Marcin is back to join me in this week in gaming news, where we'll talk about whether Sega's really abandoning the arcade business for good, we tell you about the upcoming Shinmu anime that premieres next weekend, and we jump into our X-Wings to talk about three new Star Wars games in development at Respawn Entertainment. We have all this and more in this week's episode of the Megavision Show. Before we jump into the show, I want to remind you to join our Patreon if you want to secure your copy of Megavisions Issue 2. So go to www.patreon.com megavisions. Once you become a patron, every issue will ship right to your door. Each issue of Megavisions contains 64 pages of neo-retro coverage spanning every console generation and features a new original cover by Sketchcraft. So remember, go to www.patreon.com megavisions to secure your next issue of Megavisions Magazine today. Okay, we are back again with the news of the week. We have Marcin joining us once again. Marcin, welcome back. We missed you last week. Hey, good afternoon. Yeah, I was gone for a little bit. Uh, had a little trip to Miami celebrating my friend's 30th birthday, and now I'm back in a winter storm, so, you know, can't have them all. Well, that's what happens. You, you go to Florida for vacation and, you know, it's hell when you get back with these winter storms. So hopefully it's not too bad. It's it's starting to come down now out here in New Jersey. So we'll see. All right, let's jump into the news because there's a lot going on in the world of video games this week, right? Yeah, so this one actually just came out um, in the past day, actually. Um, so Sega's actually calling it quits on the Japanese arcade business after almost 50 years. So... Um, a little bit of background during the COVID um, pandemic in 2020, um, arcade businesses uh, suffered a, a huge loss in terms of, um, you know, attendance and all that and enforced closings. Um, and they sold about 80% of their 85% of their share um, to Genda Inc. in November of that year. So after they show, uh, re- sh- sold those shares, um, they retained about 14.9%. Um, and in the past week, they basically took that 14.9% and then sold the rest of it to Genda. So this will see Sega Sammy leaving the arcade business entirely, and the remaining locations are going to be rebranded from Sega to Gigo, which stands uh, for Get Into the Gaming Oasis. Um, and according to the chairman of, of Genda, um, he basically said Sega stores across the country will be switching their store names to Gigo to s- express our gratitude for Sega's 56 years of history and our desire to be an oasis that quenches people's thirst for real entertainment. We will start with Ikebukuro, Akihabara, and Shinjuku, then the whole country. And wow. Um, as a reaction from a, a well-known uh, Sega alumni, Yuji Naka actually also um, shared his sorrow, um, stating that uh, Sega's name disappears from the arcade, and it's a sad thing. And I was sad when I withdrew from the home video game console, um, but when I can't see the game center named Sega in the city, the chances of seeing the name Sega are considerably reduced. Um, which which sucks, you know, so and I feel again, it's a little I feel like it is a little mis- misleading because 
Um, they they aren't necessarily quitting the arcade business because it, as as far as we can see, Sega Amusements is still around and they'll still be creating arcade games. So Sega isn't leaving the arcade business per se, but um, they are leaving the arcade center business. They're not the ones right. owning the arcades. Um, they'll still be making um, arcade um, games. Right, but I, I think that is is still a big deal for a lot of people, especially in Japan. We don't really see it here because we don't really get those. I think they had the uh, the they did have some of the Sega arcades. I forget what they were called back in the day, but um, I mean, whatever. like here we we still have you know th- or we had things like GameWorks and and we there's ones in our area called Round One, and we have like arcade like sports bar type things where people go there to drink which i thought was a genius business move because you know why not like adults grew up with video games and now you can drink and play them Um, and and the sega arcade still exists in all these areas um but yeah just seeing the name sega plastered across these iconic red buildings especially in japan and having that being eliminated is is it sucks you know i think i think yuji daka makes a good point though is that it's it's not necessarily just the and it kind of loose to what you're saying is that it's not just about leaving the the industry it's like the the name of Sega and around the city it's 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 being reduced and and right. I think he's he's worried that uh you know Sega is just going to eventually you know lose out on on being that uh known uh you know company associated with video games especially in Japan I think there's a lot of people that um, are worried about that in Japan. In fact, I, I read an article, uh, I think last week or the week before, it was from, a, uh, I think, IG in Japan, uh, where the writer was going in and talking about how Sega, uh, even though it's doing great in the West, it's, it's still struggling in Japan. And uh, just to have not only its identity, but just to stay relevant. And I think this alludes to to what he was saying, and kind of goes back to what Yujinaka was was is worried about as well. Is just that, you know, as Sega's name disappears in and around, uh, you know, the cities and the urban areas, you know, that isn't going to lose out on just being a, a relevant uh, company in pop culture and in, in, in the culture in Japan. Yeah, I mean, like it also harkens back to those stories where we were talking about. Um, you know, certain Sega arcades being closed um, for good and then having one being resurrected um, not long after that. And I think this was in the past fall. Um, and then they basically sold the remainder of their shares. And now just mm-hmm. those names are gone, you know. And like you said, as a branding thing, you know, as as a way of retaining their name in people's memories, um, it's, it's considerably lessened. So... But, you know, that I guess that kind of goes to ask, um, what do we think about the arcade business as a whole or maybe even for Sega specifically? Do you feel like um, do you feel like arcades as an entity are still possible in our current environment? What do you think? It's it's tough because I'll tell you, there is there's an arcade that opened not so uh, far away from me and it opened right before the pandemic hit. And I, I went a couple of times and, and it was fine. They have a weird business model where they charge you per time that you're in there though. And I, I don't, I don't like that because it gets way too expensive. But anyway, uh, they, they're still in business throughout this whole pandemic. I have no idea how they're staying in, in business, but they're, you know, they're 
they're uh, surviving. So it seems like there are arcades that are, are able to, to kind of persevere through this. I can't imagine it's easy, especially with people just not wanting to go out in public and, and be around people as it is, but then going and, and, you know, like having to touch the arcades and other people doing it. So I imagine that you have to go above and beyond ensuring that, you know, everything's clean and, and hygienic and everything. But I, I think beyond that, if, if we can get beyond being out in public and going to arcades, I think arcades definitely have a place uh, still. I think, like you said, you know, the adding the whole, um, you know, the bar aspect into the arcades yeah, is like a Dave great busters and all those kind of people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The barcades is is an excellent uh, idea because you have young people or older people who grew up playing these games in the arcade and now they're older and you know they want to drink and go play those games and I think it's it's a perfect combination. You know, like the concept of barcades I think is is what will be sustainable in the future. Again, people like to drink, everyone who's uh, of age has grown up with all these video games and all that stuff and like they want to get wasted and like hey let's let's also play a game and there's there's so many that I've that I have seen in, around the city that that I do enjoy and and they are also they also did great business so I hope that just you know maintains um, in the future um, so let's actually just go into the next Sega related piece of news and that's Shenmue the animation and it's coming out uh, what what as of today uh in a week or so so yeah, yeah. yeah on february 5th uh, the animation of shenmue uh will be debuting on adult swim and crunchyroll um it's animated by telecom animation film and directed by sakurai chikara who did one punch man in naruto which is which is real cool um the english dub of the series will premiere uh, on Saturday, uh, the fifth at at midnight, um, which kind of sucks, but hey, midnight that's, thirty, yeah, oops. yeah. But you know, everyone has a streaming service, so I'm sure most people will probably watch it. Um, through people were complaining through about that uh, time slot that uh, Sonic Boom got back in the day. What about this one? Yeah, exactly. Like, come on now. Um, so for this season, and hopefully it'll be more than one season. This one will have thirteen episodes. So it'll tackle the first game and basically part of two. Um, if you see in the poster that they released, uh, there are a bunch of characters that you see in Shenmue 2. Um, so we won't know exactly how far along they'll go into that, but I'm sure they'll cover a decent portion. Um, and in this version of the anime, they'll be introducing stories, ideas that weren't really put in the game due to budget, time constraints, and all that kind of stuff, or even the mature nature of some of the content. Um because it was rated T for teen at the time. Um, so I am excited because Yu Suzuki is also attached to the series as executive producer. So he, you know, obviously has say over the story. So that's fantastic. Um, one bad thing that people who are long fans of the series have have commented on is that the voice actor for the video game version of Shenmue, uh, Ryo Hazuki, Corey Marshall, is not voicing the English um, dubbing. That's um, a role for Austin Tyndall. Um, but Corey actually explained in a video uh, his own reaction. He understands people's disappointment towards his lack of involvement, but he continues to encourage people to support the brand of Shenmue and states that it's important for fans of the games to support the anime as the new medium opens the door for a new audience. 
A quick little quote from Corey. He says the Shenmue community is more than just that. I feel like they were kind of a family in the game world. We have the Japanese version. We have the English version of the game. And now we have an anime version of the game. And that's something special. And I want everybody to love and support Shenmue and support you, Suzuki, because Shenmue needs you. Shenmue needs everybody, all of the fans. And, of course, we want to bring in as many new fans as possible. Now, to our point, what do we think of the anime? Uh, do we think it can capture what made Shenmue so special? And what do we feel will be also different um, between the game and the anime? And will it help the future? of the series? That's a loaded question, but I think we can open it up to a uh, discussion here. Yeah, there's a lot there, but I, I do want to say really quick that I thought that was a really well said by Corey Marshall. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a, I think it was smart that he came out and, and just said that because I do think that this is just its own separate thing. I don't know how many of, if there are any of the original voice actors uh, from uh, maybe the Japanese version or Japanese involved. version has the original Rio and, um, I believe Landy. So okay. they they retain their um, voice acting status. And I will say though, having played the uh, the the original Shinmu with the Japanese uh, voice acting, it's in a completely different experience because he's he's really good. The I, I don't know his name. The the original uh, Japanese voice actor for for Rio, uh, very very good. And it just is it it eliminates some of the uh, the campiness, I guess. Um, but anyway, to the point, this was a great thing by Corey Marshall, uh, by putting this out there. And I, I hope the fans, you know, don't, aren't upset that, you know, he's not, uh, voice acting Rio, but I, I think it's fine. But anyway, uh, I'm really excited about this though. I, th- I think it's, it's going to be great because, you know, Shinmu isn't the easiest game and most, you know, accessible game for, for people today. Uh, right. it, it takes a long time to get into it and it's it's its own thing and i know a lot of people who really just don't like it just the gameplay and, mm-hmm. and everything else and so i think this makes the story much more accessible to people who aren't willing to uh, or just are put off by the gameplay uh because i do think the the shinmu story is so good that it should exist beyond just mere video game that uh is only going to reach a certain amount of people. You know, with this anime, I think they have an opportunity to reach a much larger amount of people who are going to give that a chance and, and finally see Shinmu for the first time. I've been trying to get my kids to, to play Shinmu <laughs> throughout the years. and They'll play it for a little bit, and then they just kind of get bored with it. Uh, but being that it's an anime and that there is some attachment or some uh, relation with the director to One Punch Man and some of the other anime that my kids like, I think maybe I could get them on board and I actually get can. them to watch this. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of excited about that. 100%. Um, and the, to your previous question, uh, the Japanese voice actor for Rio is Masaya Matsukaze. Um, and he's well known um, in in anime and, and gaming, so he's done quite a bit for himself. Um, that's probably also why they retain him because he's just super experienced and he's done a lot. Um, but I think it might also be the Japanese culture and all that kind of stuff, um, being loyal to them. Um, but but for me, it, it personally, yeah, I think I'm super excited. I, I was a little sad that you know Rio was being voiced by someone else. I've seen, you know, like in Facebook pages like the Shenmue 500K thing, there was some disappointment in that. But I think people are largely going to support it. Um, And I'm excited for it because even in the trailers, you've already seen different scenes that were not in the game at all. 
Um, so like knowing that Yu Suzuki is helming this project and that now I will be seeing like the first game and the second game with additional details that he felt like just wasn't necessary. I, I enjoy those kinds of bits, like him walking with his, you know, classmates um, was one of the scenes. Um, and then just kind of, yeah, keeping it, it the story, you can make it a bite sized um, version of the game because the version because the game, as a lot of people have stated, and I have stated, it's like a slow burning experience where you are um, intaking the whole environment as a whole. You're exploring every drawer and all that kind of stuff. And then with this anime, they take what most what a lot of people did not like about the game and then just summarize it in the form of just action packed. Um, dialogue that they want to, you know, have people say and, and get their points across and just make it more um, engaging for the viewer. Because I feel like he'll, he'll be checking some drawers and all that kind of stuff. And I, I guarantee he'll probably open up one capsule toy or something. Well, we he found some sailors. We did see that. We did see that. We did see he the sailors and the heart beats bar guy. And we saw Terry. Um, and so we saw you know, like big scenes from the first game. Um, so we know we're, we're going to get all that, but I'm excited. I, I hope I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how much like fan service or just throwbacks to the original games that they may do just for fans. Like, are we going to get any of those famous lines? Like, you know, I'm looking for sailors or any <laughs> of the other things that um, they do. I, I I think that they're not going to do that. I think they're probably taking a much more uh, serious approach to this, which is which is good. Um, I feel like you know the other the other kind of voice actors that I wish were in there because they've also done a lot of Japanese um, games is like Liesl Wilkerson and Eric Kelso who voiced Joy Shuying, uh, Ren uh, and Guizang. I feel like they. I don't know. I just feel like those those voice actors, at least because they have supported a lot of Japanese games and anime and that kind of stuff. I feel like they should have at least given them the opportunity to. Um, and I don't know what the status of their you know role was. But, yeah, I was a bit sad that they, that they were not in there. I'm really interested because I want to see how they're going to approach Ryu, uh, Ryu's and uh, Nozomi's relationship in this. Because oh, yeah. It was in the game. It was so awkward every single time. I, I understand like what I think they were trying to go for, where they're trying to show that uh, Ryu was, I guess, a bit conflicted, but more focused on, uh, you know, avenging his father rather than mm -hmm. some of the, uh, you know, romantic relationships that he could have gotten into with Nozomi. But right. just the way the English voice acting was, it just felt very awkward and kind of stilted at times, uh, where Ryu just kind of acted more like an asshole at times, and, and Nozomi was just so nice and sweet all the time. And so I hope that they, they you know, kind of approach that differently, and, and it's uh, just much more, uh, I guess, a realistic and, and uh, natural relationship between them. You know, I feel like even if they maintain those same beats where he's distant and all that, I feel like maybe the dialogue could be more palatable um, and ease, more easily translated emotionally between the two. Like, you can maintain that he's distant and you know she's being super close to him but he's still being like that hard ass and whatever but hopefully they can they can frame it better um in the anime because you're not dealing with you know the game aspect so um yeah very 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 i'm also interested in that yeah i didn't i didn't think about it until you actually brought it up so um as we're 
nearing the end of like this this new segment besides you know being excited for the anime and, and getting those new things what do you think it'll do for the future of the series as a whole do you feel like it'll ignite a new popularity do you think people will be reinterested into the first three games um do you think maybe the money earned from this will go to a shenmue 4 i think the best case scenario that we can hope for is that this anime is is very successful and it gets a, another s- season yeah. at this point. I think that, I think that's the best thing we can hope for. And I think what that means is that everyone's going to need to go out and, and watch it as much as possible and, and talk about it and just, you know, try to make it trend and, and do all the things that everyone did during, you know, this, this safe Shinmu campaign and all those other uh, great uh, online campaigns that the community has done over the years. But I think that's going to be the most important thing is that this just gets another sequel because while it's great that they're recapping and they're retelling the original stories, and this is something that longtime Berserk fans can can attest to and feel because one thing I've always wanted in Berserk is like go beyond, you know, the Golden Arc and all the other stuff that has been shown in the 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 anime series and, and and the movies but it seems like every time we get a new anime it's the same stuff over again and they're redoing it and be, instead of like really going beyond and, and telling more depth into the story so what i want to see is that this do well and then we can go beyond like shinmu 3 we can get into shinmu 3 and maybe help tell more of the story that yu suzuki really wants to tell because the truth of the matter is there's no way we're going to be able to get more Shinmu games to finish his original vision in a video game form. It's not going to happen, at least in the same form as the series has been up to this point. So I think the best way we can hope for is that maybe it gets told through this anime series and at least we can get some sort of full conclusion to Yu Suzuki's vision you know, while he's still alive and able to be a part of these projects. Yeah, 100 percent. And I wasn't even expecting an anime like like the game came out the year before. You know, and then in the in the spring of of uh, or in the summer of, of next year, they announce a freaking anime at the uh, Tokyo Game Show or around the Tokyo Game Show. And I was I was ex- super excited. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this um, happening on February 5th. Um, so our final story is the three new Star Wars games that are in development from Respawn. So. You know, the, we had the sequel trilogy, which, you know, despite everyone's opinions on it, financially, it, they all three were successful. Um, they released several TV shows, books and stories to expand the universe. Um, and now, courtesy of uh, Respawn Entertainment, which is um, owned by Electronic Arts, um, three more Star Wars games are on the way. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Respawn actually developed the 2018 action-adventure uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which Wait, I also has, I had a quick question. Has, yeah. has Microsoft bought Electronic Arts yet? I don't think so, but it's Not probably yet. next on their list. We'll <laughs> right, just yeah. have like everything's being monopolized and it'll be Microsoft <laughs> owns everything. And then maybe I don't even know Nintendo because right. <laughs> I feel like Nintendo will never sell this shit away. Um, so, yeah, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. For those of you who haven't played it, it's a fantastic game. Uh, the story is great. The action is wonderful. Um, and one of those three games will be a sequel to Fallen Order. And that will be uh, that is currently in development. Um, in addition to that, there will be two more games that they will be working on. Um, there's a first person shooter, which is uh, being uh, helmed by Peter Hirschman and a strategy game by Bit Reactor um, that's Star Wars based. And they are also in the works. 
So, you know, these two games I'm I'm excited about. Like I, I like that Jedi Fallen Order is getting another game. I'm a little um, in, I'm a little more interested in the strategy game and how they will uh, will approach that. Um, beyond the details that I just said, there there wasn't that much um, shared. So hopefully throughout the rest of the year, we'll get a couple of more details. Um, another interesting bit is it looks like EA is probably shifting their priorities to their own stuff. So after these titles, it looks like they will just sell off their the or the, they will not re renew their license um, with uh, Lucas Film. Interesting. Um, so these three games that they'll work on, they'll probably be their last, and then they will just focus on their own stuff. Because it also looks like they didn't want to do, they weren't working on Battlefront. They're working on their own core series, Battlefield. Um, so that 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 is a thing that is happening in in the works. So you as a, I mean, you, you watch Star Wars, you've played the Star Wars games. What do you feel like... Um, as as a Star Wars fan, are you casual Star Wars fan? Are you more of a hardcore guy? <laughs> I no, I think you're Where's more of a spectrum? hardcore Star Wars fan. I thought I was a Star Wars fan until I you know I started talking Star Wars with you guys. Um, so I I probably fall more in a casual, but I mean I've watched so much Star Wars over the years, so I'm very yeah. familiar with it. As far as the games, though, I'm not as familiar with it. I have played Fallen Order a little bit. Mm -hmm. I've watched uh, my son Elliot play. I know he really liked it. Uh, I think. You know, Respawn is a, an amazing uh, developer. I mean, they've done the Titanfall series. Uh, they've done, you know, Fallen Order, like you said. I'm really interested in seeing what they're going to do here. I'm really interested, too. I know it's far in advance, but I wonder what EA is going to do with them after they're done with the, the series. You know, because it's if, especially if, if they're wanting to go back and, and focus on their own, you know, internal IP and things like that, it would be great to possibly see them. Uh, make a return to Titanfall, but I know that's w getting way far ahead of ourselves. I'll say this: the the Star Wars game I'm most excited for is is the Kotor remake. That's what I want oh, yeah. more than anything. Um, these games are are fine, but depending on, I, I probably won't play the strategy game. I'm not too into strategy games. <laughs> I'm not a big first person shooter, uh, so I'll say out of the three, the the Fallen Order sequel I think would probably have what i'm looking for especially because i'm i'm really getting into those type of games a little bit more you know horizon i really am like still playing through that i'm like 35 hours into that and i'm I'm still loving it so i'm really getting excited for forbidden west but uh, i think fallen order might be something that would be up my alley mm -hmm. in regards to like what this deal or announcement kind of holds but i'm more you know what what do you think i know you're the the hardcore you know star wars fan here well what hardcore hardcore is a bit strong of a word cuz like if if we're talking about rel hardcore relative to what like you know right. there's the expanded universe books there's cosplaying as a wookiee uh, you know at comic con like i feel like that's more hardcore and i haven't reached that part yet but um yeah you know for me as a fan i enjoyed the films the sequel films were disappointing because you can tell there was no vision uh there was no clear vision throughout all three it just looked like everyone was doing their own thing and then they pieced it together so i didn't like that um but i enjoy the mandalorian i enjoy the book of boba fett um for the video game side like you i prefer 
the RPG style, um, you know, open world Star Wars games. So Knights of the Old Republic, if that was a part of this discussion, that was what I'd be focusing on. <laughs> um, because, yeah, that, that would be the one I'd be the, excited the most as a Star Wars um, title. For for these three, yeah, I, I feel like, like you said, um, the new Fallen Order game, I am super excited about. Um, and I'm curious to see what they'll do with the Old Republic, which is the MMO RPG that EA um, helped develop. Um, that that's online, and they continually expand on it. So I'm curious to see um, where where they will take that. But beyond that, um, I I I'm just really excited that we'll get more Star Wars games and really good star wars games because there there was a period of time where they were not that great um i'm talking like early 2000s or so um so i'm just i'm just super excited um for the strategy game and for fallen order it seems like a lot to take on are they did they say if they're going to be developing these uh at the same time or is this going to be something that they're going to put one you know maybe do fallen order first then they're going to work on the other one or well, well, I mean, I they're all. It looks like they're all being developed by different um, developers. So, you know, Respawn will be working on Fallen Order. Um, the strategy game is being developed by Bit Reactor. Oh, okay. Um, and the first-person shooter, uh, yeah, like I said, it was is being um, at the helm of Peter Hirschman, who uh, did Medal of Honor and uh, Above and Beyond. So. They, they, I'm, I'm, I'm positive that they're working on them at different, you know, timelines, but they're all being worked on at the same time. Nice. So yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, but, but yeah, like you said, I'm excited for Knights of the Old Republic. Um, and anyone who's listening, please let us know what you think about these games um, and what you would like to see um, out of the next developer. Who do you want to see as a developer to work on the next crop of Star Wars games? I think that'd be interesting to see. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, have to check back in on that. And and we'll definitely be doing some more coverage on the uh, Shinmu anime. So be mm-hmm. be sure to check back into the, the podcast. Uh, we'll definitely have some coverage on the website as well. So thanks, Marston, for jumping on and uh, doing the news with us this week. Hopefully we'll be back next week if you survive this, uh, this <laughs> storm coming through. I'll let you know. But yeah, thanks. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks again, Marston, for joining us this week. Before we jump into the interview with Sketchcraft, I want to quickly remind you to go check out the Mega Shop at www.megavisions.net slash shop, where you can buy back issues of the magazine, posters, and more. And remember, we also ship worldwide. And welcome to the show, Sketch. It's been a while since you've last been on the Megavision show, and as you can see, I am the only one left here. Just me now. <laughs> Now it's just us and turn-based gaming. I have returned (laughs) (laughs) to turn-based gaming. (laughs) Yes, the turn-based prodigal son has has returned to to preach. Yeah, I've already acquired Yakuza. What else shall I acquire next? What do you want? I know. (laughs) What are you gonna do? I don't. I don't know. But you know what though? Hey, I'm I'm all for Yakuza going turn-based. I I love the last one. If if they can keep integrating interesting mechanics like in the actual battle system, I'm all for it. It was great. I loved it. You know what I always wanted as an RPG and they didn't do it back in the nineties in the back of game fan magazine, they would always say, Hey, in the Tokyo watch, right? They like Tokyo watch or Tokyo world, whatever it was, Japan watch. Um, Right. There's a Neo Geo samurai showdown RPG coming. And I was like, Oh wow. Samurai showdown RPG. 
It wasn't a samurai RPG. <laughs> but in my mind, it was all those great world warriors. But you know, you could all their attacks, you could charge them up and develop them with the grinding mechanics and build a team of samurai showdown warriors and right? Like all those cool I would have been there. Yeah. For sure. yeah, I mean, like, especially like with Street Fighter and in like if you think about Capcom, if you take Street Fighter and Dark Soccers and Red Earth, like all the fighting game stuff that they did and make that an RPG, you know, like World Warriors. Like, Right. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Sega tried to do that a bit with uh, was it Golden Axe? They had a, a Golden Axe RPG. I think was. Who cares? Axe it should have been Streets uh, of Rage. That would have been better. Would've hey, been better. Streets it's of Rage. Rage. Who gives a shit? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, like people will care about Golden Axe when someone would really steps up and brings the the talent. You know, like it hasn't happened yet. Like if Lizard Cube made a Golden Axe game, that that would be probably pretty amazing, right? Or um, yeah. was it FDG that did uh, Monster Boy? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, good. it's interesting because I was looking over Sega's uh, like their fiscal uh, you know, earnings report and, and some of the other things that the CEOs have been discussing and the executives there at Sega Japan. And that is one of the things that they have said that they're going to do more of is go into their back catalog like Golden Axe and and look to do the re-releases uh, that have they've done, you know, with Streets of Rage and some of the Wonder Boys you know. and things like that. So I'm I'm all for it if if you know some of those uh, development uh, developers you mentioned uh, just popped in my head. You know you know who should do Gold next? Who's that? Just figured it out. Uh, Behemoth, the uh, Castle Crasher guys. Oh man, that would be fun. Especially do it in like a real fun like art style, like hand drawn and stuff like that. That would look yeah. really good. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm all for that. So I wanted to talk to you because you dropped some pretty exciting news on social media yesterday. I like I like to talk about that before we get into the rest of the stuff because that's really exciting. Can you uh, tell the audience a little bit about uh, what it was? Oh yeah, I'm doing uh, I'm doing NFTs that you can smell and they smell like feet, <laughs> so they're called NF feets. Oh and, hey, you know, they hey, hey, there's probably uh, a market for that. I mean, there's a lot of weird dudes out there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is and, and i i plan on abusing all of their their their, <laughs> their kinks no so i know i know right uh yeah so basically a little while ago you know uh, so i don't know about you man like i'm a big comic book dude you know and growing up um the the, the first comic I, I love comic book characters but the first thing that hit my radar in terms of like oh i could do that for a living was the ninja turtles right and it, it was because, like, two dudes made it. I was like, wow, two two people can make a comic book and it can be they can they they can be successful. Right. And um, fast forward a few years later in 1992, I finally talked to my dad to let me go into Comic-Con. Right. San Diego Comic-Con. I spent years trying to get him to let me go. But um, I told him it was I got lucky because he took my brothers to the circus. And I was like, I don't want the circus. He's like, what do you want to do? I want to go to Comic-Con. He's like, I'm like, there you go. So I got, I tricked him into let me go. But that was the year that Image Comics had their big debut at Comic-Con. I mean, they had shipped in April or whatever, but that was their big convention, you know, reveal. And I didn't know what Image Comics was. I knew, like, some of the art. Like, I knew Todd McFarlane's art from this Hulk, uh, the Spider-Man. Spider-Man did an issue where he punches Hulk into orbit like in the cover he's punching them through the logo oh, like it wow. blew my mind i just saw that cover and my and i i traded like six cans of 
of Coke to get that issue. You know, like, <laughs> I did trade in sodas back in June. You were like Remember going that? through people's recycling bins all in the neighborhood and trying to get as many uh, cans as you could get. No, I had to pinch them off my dad. I had to steal. That's the only time I never, I never like was one of those guys pinching money out of your parents' wallet or anything like that. But I pinched sodas to get that fucking issue. It blew my mind. And so, um, but that was when Spider-Man had cosmic powers. I don't know if you're familiar with that star. And he not, I remember that. I do orbit. Yeah, it's great. But, um, he launched a book at that comic con called spawn. And, uh, there was a few others, the savage dragon, young blood. Um, but they really piqued my interest and, and became the soul spawn and savage dragon became my spawn, savage dragon and bone became the three go-tos every month or every other month with bone. Um, and so my, my artwork looks like a blend between nineties comics and cart like bone and, and Calvin and Hobbes, right? Like it's somewhere between there because of this. Anyhow, I never thought I'd ever get to work with any of these cats. Cause I tend to just draw weird man. And you know, my career is so, <laughs> so rando. Right. <laughs> uh, but the other week, uh, Mr. Todd McFarlane hit me up to go, work on a project with him you know and wow. i was like are you get the fuck out of here right like this is, you know <laughs> so i'm did, looking how did how did it come did it come in an email or what how did how did the Instagram. um no, I just okay oh sliding in the dms yeah, yeah it was it. just like hey I, I like your art uh you hit me up was yeah. it one of those type of yeah. things <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah wow just like that's that. Man, exactly interesting. Like that. How exactly. how did so did you have uh I, I guess like a Zoom call or something like that? Did you get a, you know how how did that go? Can you talk to, a little bit about that? Just well, talking to him? Yeah, we did a meeting about a you know a little mm. while after that with with him and my my editor. Yeah, yeah. Were you, nice was it hard to kind of keep it cool? Were you like, come on, sketch, keep your shit together? No, I mean, I again at Comic Con, I I'd met Todd quite a few times. You know, oh, I see. I mean, okay. It, it, by them, especially by '96, it wasn't so hard to like get a signature at that time from them. Not that they weren't popular; it's just that Comic Con was growing so big, everyone was in the the size of the con was growing, but the audiences weren't as much. So right. it was the perfect time. If you like, in '96, '95, '96 was really the perfect time to get all the signatures you ever wanted. Everyone Matter was fact, accessible back then, right? Like it was, is not like it is now where it's just a horde of. Yeah. By 2000, people. by when Spider-Man comes out, that's over. But in 96, when he, he was there promoting uh, spawn, the movie and they had that PlayStation game. Right. And I told him the story. I was like, yeah, so I'm there at your booth and you had the PlayStation game set up and no one could get that game to work for whatever reason. You know, the play oh, control no. was fucking weird. But my little brother was making it work, and Todd just sat there and was, like, watching him, actually. Because, you know, he was, like, an eight-year-old kid, right? So he's studying the demographic, like, figuring out how the game worked, you know? And I was like, that was cool, you know? I got, I got the first time I was able to actually get a signature was in 94. They did a thing called ImageCon at the San Diego Convention Center. I thought it was going to be, like, Comic-Con. It was, all gonna be, it was just going to be Image. And I was like, that's amazing. So I just started dating this girl. I said, you, you can't wait to see these Comic Cons. I can't wait to take you. And my, oh, got no. my dad to drive I, us I and drop us off. No, she was a nerd. She liked <laughs> books and dragons. Okay, and okay. But this this was like the small, like if you think Comic, imagine Comic Con is like Toys R Us. This is like taking someone to um, an ice cream truck. That's what I was like, worried for. That's what I I felt like that's where the setup was going. <laughs> yeah, it was nobody was there, but Todd was great because it, what what he at the time, it was so hard to get a signature, he had these tickets. And if you got a ticket, you were guaranteed a signature. 
So they would lay out, you know, out the numbers. And this way, this way you could always guarantee you can get your shit signed. You have to stand in line for nine days, you know? Um, you never sold them. They were just given out. You were guaranteed a ticket with the the t- with the with the purchase of a ticket to this thing, right? So that's how I was able to, like, get them. Because there's no one's there anyway. Like, if no one's there, I would have gotten it anyhow. But he was there. The Spawn Mobile was there. Great Capullo's. When they launched the Angela miniseries, if anyone knows what that is. Um but yeah, so this is a big, I told, it was funny. I was having this conversation earlier last year with some professionals and they're like, look, what would it take to get you to come back to comics? I'm like, you know, I would have to be bucket list shit. Like I can mm. only think of like two or three people that I'd ever want to work with. And I don't know how that's ever happening. Cause I'm nobody. And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> the wow. universe is like, Hey, challenge accepted. You know, like, <laughs> whoa. Yeah. I'm not even, rem- it's weird. Like one would think, where I in my early thirties, I might be more nervous about stuff, but like this, I just get to do what I've always dreamt of doing. So like, it's really, it's really just, uh, uh, it's not odd, but, um, it's really amazing that this is how it's going along so far for me. You know, like, um, I'm already working like way before the project started. I'm already putting in the hours I'll be putting in normally. So I know the workload. I know what it takes. I've made comics before. Um, I just stopped doing it because, the the work I was doing was was unrewarding, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day, like the the project I was working on. And uh, but Todd's the guy who gets things, you know, in stores. So my my problem with comics, I was working with publishers that I would put everything I had into. I mean, to the point where I gave myself carpal tunnel. I, I pulled out my shoulder once from drawing too too many hours. Um, I couldn't do a push up for a year once because of it, torn a ligament in my my arm. Um, and then they wouldn't publish anything, you know, like, and so like when you're not getting paid much and you're working a hundred hours a week and you're never getting published, what is the point? It sounds like you're back in the army, right? No, the army I worked, dude, the army was the greatest in terms of like (laughs) sleep. I never got more sleep than when I was in the army, man. Like, you know, that's seriously. Cause even, cause even if like, what's the longest you ever worked? 16 hours probably. Right? Yeah, yeah, like, 16, 18 yeah. hours. I just my right. Then you get twelve just... off. Like, yeah. can you guarantee twelve hours of, of of time off every day? Now, no. <laughs> it's always there. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Going back to the comic real quick before we move on to the next bit, but um, can you tell us anything as in terms of just like, because I'm sure people are wondering, like, what is this comic going to be? Like, can you tell us oh, anything yeah. about like that or anything? Or is it just all still hush hush? Oh, it's all hush hush. I mean, look. Gotcha. It, They'll they'll promote when it's time to promote, right? Mm-hmm. But Sweet. I mean, imagine what my so dream cool. would be, and it's it's pretty much that. Man, I, I I can't tell you how happy I am for you, dude. That is so amazing. I would I would I don't even I I don't know, man. That's that's so crazy. It you know, would, sometimes you, when when, when you see people in like competitions or some I don't know I don't have another thing for it, but like when they hit something. And they're like, oh, I'm doing this for my family. You ever see those like master chefs or something? And and they fail all the time, right? When they do it for someone. Like when you really want it, it has to be for yourself, right? It can be yeah. for no one else. And so like this is one of those times I took in gigs where I was like, oh, you know, like I took a Richie Rich gig once because I knew my dad loved Richie Rich, you know. And um, I got some shit from some of my peers for that one. But it was nice to make my dad happy. Uh, I took the gaming stuff because I always wanted to do it, you know, but um i can't say it was like it was a bucket list but it was also like 
oh, that's cool. But it wasn't like something I spent every night dreaming about, you know? Right. Um, I mean, this is literally what got me through 1992 to uh, 2002, pretty much. That's so cool. You know, yeah, I mean, those, years, yeah. Yeah. those image comics back back then. I mean, you mentioned Youngblood. That was those comics were just so awesome. I I I loved the art style back then, and uh, it's 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 great. I mean, they they were trailblazers back then, and and you know did so much awesome stuff. So it's great that you're able to work with these these people. That and that's awesome. Well, to give to give the 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 younger folks out there, they the younger folks listen, but. The, the feeling is like when people get all excited for Spider-Man No No Way Home. This is big cinematic event. You know, the, it was like that every month. And it was right. artists that were, you know, you know, people complain, oh, books were late. No, 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 no. I mean, some were, not all. And no more later than when a game misses a whole deal these days. It's funny. Now you got to wait years when a game is late. <laughs> we're talking like a couple months. Some people, it's, it's crazy. Um, but But it felt like, it felt like a lot of them were constantly trying to push as far as one could go within a monthly uh, limit, you know, mm-hmm. like how far can they push the art, you know, how far and, and they, they did so. And it gave us a lot of things that we all take for granted. Like, first of all, computer coloring, you know, it existed mm-hmm. with Steve Olaf in that before, but it was very niche. He did the Akira. He did a legend of the dark Knight at the time. Steve Olaf, you know, he did a couple things, but but the computer coloring image uh, between Rob Liefeld and Todd and, and and Jim and all them, they really pushed that forward. They, they forced the whole industry, you know, to to up their game on computer coloring and like overnight, like it just changed everything. And um, and it's the last time you really saw like a studio push to build a studio. My CrossGen was probably the last one. They actually built a facility out there in Florida. But it, it never had the impact that Image has. I mean, Wildstorm and these um, Omash Studios and Top Cow and them, Extreme, they, they were they were putting in butts and seats, you know, like and 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 that will never happen again. It was the cinematic experience in comics. Let's let's move on. We got a lot to get through, uh, but I wanted to get your your thoughts on this because uh, you you have a little bit. I, I think you have something to say uh, with this. But last week, Microsoft you know, broke the whole internet really when they announced that, uh, they were purchasing Activision Blizzard. Uh, and that was wild. Right. Uh, but part of that, you know, included, uh, developers toys for Bob, uh, which, you know, was the company that had been developing crash bandicoot, the Spyro stuff. And I know you, uh, were concept artists on both of those games. So I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on the whole thing that happened and, it's just it's a wild uh, event. So I just, yeah, like, what did you think when uh, you heard the news? And I mean, yeah, what were your, what was your initial reactions upon hearing it? Well, I mean, first off, Microsoft's been on a buy-in frenzy, right? Mm-hmm. right? For a great number of years. And they they basically, I mean, they picked up Double Fine of all studios. And so, you know, Double Fine's like, that's in my, that's like my bucket list stuff right there. Like, they're they're amazing. So I was glad when they picked up double fine because i know how difficult they've been to keeping their studios creative right and and one of the things that tim schaefer said was that you know um they feel that microsoft and them have phil hester and them they've learned phil Spector, sorry they've learned from their mistakes in the past 
from, you know, basically Rare, right? And studios like Rare and, you know, Bungie and stuff like that, um, of buying a studio and then getting them to do what corporate thinks will get a quick return on their investment. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea every time. And that's generally what's happened every time a major publisher has picked up a studio. Um, so far, we've seen that play well. Right? Psychonauts 2 hasn't it's Psychonauts 2. They didn't, you know, now there isn't some giant loot box thing mechanic added in and all these, God. you know, Microsoft Home or camera. What, what were those micro, those 360 characters? What were those? those like their Wii. Oh, were those fucking things? Yeah. What, what were those? Oh. <laughs> right. You can never remember. Holy it was shit. So your avatars, so you're just your avatars or something? It might have been avatars. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. I think they yeah. still have them, but you just don't see them anymore. But yeah, that's weird. Yeah. yeah, imagine if they shoved all that shit in there. And so my hope is that we, if it, this will go through because it's America and, and there's always, I don't care what government person says, we're gonna fight this one. It'll go through um, mm-hmm. until as long as we can we can lobby politicians, they'll get away with <laughs> lobbying. Um, but my hope is that the studios. Uh, get to make the projects that they want to make and not the projects that Microsoft deems a quick return on investment. You know, that is my hope because at the end of the day, regardless of whether it's Microsoft or Sony, remember Sony was supposed to buy square. That was a big rumor for a while. Mm-hmm. These mergers and acquisitions, man, overall tend to not be good for consumers, you know, like overall, it just means less stuff, less variety, right? And so, um, however, I do understand the economics of game development. I do understand how hard and how expensive it is to make something. I think I think even now the average gamer doesn't understand that $100 million won't give you the Star Wars game you want. That's insane, but you can make a $100 yeah. million dollar film. You see what I'm saying? It's nuts games are way more complicated and the more you want out of a game, the more complicated it gets. So I this is why it's also important to have uh single a and double a games. I mean, I, I do this daily star Wars podcast at making star Wars.net with Jason Ward. And, and something I keep harping from the game side is there should be in star Wars, a, a super star Wars version of Mandalorian and Boba Fett and everything else they're doing all the time. Every year you should be able to get like a, a you know, Super Mandalorian 2D, you know, like uh, four people jump in there, brawl, beat shit up. Just a double A, a double A game, you know, or single A game that gets you a lot of return for your 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 value. Like what what Demu and them are doing with turtles and stuff like that, you know, like the Shovel Knight scope, the scope of that, you know. However, yes, every time. Yeah, well, unfortunately, every time you bring up Star Wars, everyone's like, I want the open world. And I'm like, that's five years providing they already have the tools and the talent. It's so difficult, man. So difficult. Well, so, I think I, I think you make a good point, too. And I think Nintendo showed that you can make a follow-up to a big series with a game that's a smaller scope with Metroid Dread. I, th- I think that is a perfect example of doing something that's, you know, working with a smaller developer to put out a game that is just a little bit smaller in scope, but, you know, it sold very well and it was critically acclaimed as well. So I think, you know, that would be, that, that, that could have some potential there. And the reason why I say it is it allows teams to, to build off successes. Unfortunately, a lot of games are just, strictly centered around Metacritic scores. You know? I don't know why. 
I don't know why someone. The industry as a whole seems to run. Metacritic I don't scores. understand how how yeah. some website gets to decide whether I work or not. You know, or if you or if really the, you meet if you if you get bonuses and you know t- tied to to Metacritic scores and things like and what that. What we're really Six. talking about with bonuses is the pay you should have just been paid, but they tied Absolutely. as an, as an incentive. You know, like. So my my cynical side to me, anytime I see a, a merger and acquisition, is there's always more money to buy other companies, but never more money to pay your employees a mm. fair wage, you know. So, um, that's not limited to video games. That's every industry, you know. There is. I mean, I was at Kinko's when FedEx bought them out, and it got it just it. I quit. It got so bad. I was like, I'm not sticking around. I I know where this is going, you know. Within 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 a couple within a month. Assistant managers at Kinko's weren't even allowed to wear. Remember, you used to go to Kinko's and they, the the you knew who the manager was because he wore a nice shirt and a tie. <laughs> Remember yeah. that? I got to wear that right. for one month, and then they took that shit away. And I was like, "Oh well, I'm man, so can't everyone wears that. the FedEx. Everyone wears the FedEx shirt." I'm like, "I'm getting the fuck out of here." Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to ask too because uh, you know, in the last few years, like Toys for Bob got bought by Activision, uh, you know, a few years before that, and you know, they've been assisting on uh, Call of Duty Warzone. Uh, do you think that, and I have a feeling <laughs> what your answer is going to be, but uh, do you think that Microsoft, just from a like a creative and cultural, even a business standpoint, is a better fit for Toys for Bob than, you know, wh- where they were at with Activision? Um, if, if Microsoft's philosophy really is let the studio decide what it wants to do, then I think that's an obvious answer, right? Yeah, I thought I saw something where Phil Spencer was was is basically said something to that effect, like he wants to to keep it kind of open and and have the studios come to them and and have some sort of open discussion where they can talk about the games that they want to create versus, you know, like the like you are going to create Call of Duty, you know, Warzone skins or whatever they were doing before. Um, but no, I think that's interesting. I think there's some some hope there. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll we'll learn more um, as we go along. But hopefully, there's a lot of. I mean, there's still probably it's so much talent. At Toys for Bob. I think that there's so many great IP that they could go back and and work on. You know, even if it isn't more Crash or Spyro. There's tons. I've said before, it's it. the best job I've ever had. They're they're, they're an amazing studio. Um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for everyone there. Shout out to Ron. I know he's still there. Ron's great. And, and, um, and I let them know that when I first started working with them, I had within, I don't know, a couple weeks, I could just tell, I mean, you know, man, you know, my career, I've worked with a lot of, and so <laughs> I sent an email to my producer and our director. I said, look, I, I don't know if, you know, you know, you want to read my emails, but like, I just think you should know you guys are, everyone here is running everything the way it should be done. This is amazing. You know, and you, you really should be proud of yourselves for the culture and like, what, whatever has come out about Activision did not exist at Toys for Bob mm. at all in any way, shape or form. It's a brilliant crew of people that worked with uh, contractors worldwide and they had third party studios. And I mean, watching the, the saddest part of my life was slowly watching it all go away. Everyone saying goodbye until it was my day to say goodbye. And I was like, fuck, man, that. Mm. That was a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I remember. It was a real yeah. bummer, man. Yeah, it was, it was no, everyone was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the way it goes. I mean, game development 
like anything else, man, like it's never going to last forever. I mean, whatever team that you think is on your favorite Mario game wasn't on a Mario game at one point and won't be on the next one, you know? So like, um, everything is temporary. Uh, one would like to think though, that you would get to choose when you're done. Right. That, that would be, yeah, hope. I mean, that's a perfect ending for everyone, right? If you get to cho- choose when you're done, um, as a fan though, cause I know you're, you are a longtime fan of toys for Bob. Uh, what, what would you like to, you know, maybe see them do as, you know, like I said, as a fan, you know, going forward, um, like, is there a certain IP that you could think of like back catalog from either Microsoft or, you know, maybe even Activision Blizzard, anything that, you know, pops to, uh, to your head that if, if they couldn't continue what we were working on when I left if that, cause that's hard to do when you already have a crew, you know, and if they had to start completely fresh, all I'm saying Banjo Kazooie is just sitting there waiting to be waiting to be done something with. And maybe the crew at Rare ain't the crew it used to be, and it's a different crew and they're a different mindset, but Toys for Bob would make the most amazing Banjo Kazooie game you could imagine. I'm not I'm you know I mean I'm not the biggest N64 guy out there, but uh, Banjo Kazooie was always a game I respected though. I, I would be down for that. That was a cool game. So down for that. Um I want to turn our attention now because you did talk a little bit uh, about Psychonauts and Double Fine. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about that because uh, we have Psychonauts on our cover uh, for issue two, Psychonauts two oh, specifically. Shit, you? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? You're the one that drew it. So. Oh, I did. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Surprise. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't uh, remember no, that. <laughs> it turned out really awesome. I wanted to to, to bring you on because I know that. Psychonauts is something uh, as a series is important to you. And I know the sequel specifically was uh, very important to you. And you even you know, came out and said it was your game of the year uh, for 2021. So I wanted to, to, to give you the opportunity and say, hey, like, why is this game so special? Tell the audience. And, you know, because we had, you know, some back and forth discussion on what we wanted to put on the cover for this one. And you were definitely one of the, the people pushing for this game on the cover. So, yeah, let's talk about it. Well, I think when it comes down to when I say that, I've gotten some people going, man, but Ratchet and Crate is the best looking game. Yeah, it's the best looking game anywhere I've seen in a long time. It's one of the best looking games ever made. Probably the best looking game ever made. Like, I'm going to say this, though. Everything that's in Ratchet and Clank is everything you imagine Ratchet and Clank to be. That's how great it is. Psychonauts 2 does things you can never imagine. You can never imagine. You think, oh, I'm going to get this. Oh, what? What is this? (laughs) You know, and that's because... um, Games like even what we did when we work on Crash or Spyro, um, those those are written by a and sort of edited and, and created by a team of people, right? Um, in the way that an MCU film is made or a Star Wars film is typically made these days. Um, but Psychonauts kind of starts all in the auteur way of filmmaking, right? The the American graffiti, George Lucas, older, you know, the, the Martin Scorsese, older. The yeah. auteur where you can read, you can, anytime you can see the artist's uh, imprint, right, or hand, or hear the voice, like uh, Tarantino, it's a great example of that, right? Um, with Tim Schafer, whatever Tim Schafer writes, you know you're, get, you're getting Tim Schafer voice, you know? And mm-hmm. it's a very unique, it's a very unique sense of humor. And, and, and it's aged, like he, he doesn't, it tastes like fine eggnog, you know. <laughs> yeah, he'd never compliment himself. He's very modest. But um, one of the things that game does uh, is 
is it deals with characters getting older and age beyond I'm an old person. What could I do? You know, like it actually tackles aging in a way that is quite amazing. And, and, and it deals with trying to heal people. Like, you know, Spider-Man, no way home had to deal with like healing your bad guys. Right. right. Yep. It takes that, but goes beyond, you know, beyond that to other, other levels, you know, hmm. um, and it's a game that anyone can play. So you, if you want, you can put on easy everything, you know, easy, undefeatable, undefeatable, that's not a word. But, you know, unlimited health, uh, whatever. You can turn on those modes so you can just play the game if you don't want to be bound by um, difficulty. Or you can play, you'd be bound by difficulty. You, you can play by the way they intended it. It's just, it's the perfect blend between, um, like, Tim Burton, Leica Studios, remember, like, Coraline, you know, mm-hmm. uh, my daughter is in love with Coraline. She 90s animation, like liquid television, you know, like it feels like all those things with the quality of a, you know, an animated film. Um, but the characters are so there's a scene in the very beginning, right? So it, this thing where Raz, the main character, always wanted to be a psychonaut. And then he's at work and, you know, he's doing paperwork and he's in a fucking office. <laughs> it's the office from hell, you know, and you're just like, yep. shit, man. We can all you feel know, that. Like, yeah, you can all feel that. And and I think like that sort of thing is not in most games. Most games, you know, are are really still based around defeat the evil dragon, save the princess mechanic. Right. Mm-hmm. But what happens when the evil dragon is your own habits? Right. What happens when the evil dragon uh, the, the the princess is really, really just your well-being. And then how do you take those concepts and make them tangible? Because um, a lot of times when people try to take those those things, and they, they get, you can end up in that Twin Peaks realm, or you can end up, you know, which everyone likes, or you can end up in some weird what-the-fuck sucker punch realm where nothing makes any sense, right? And Tim has a really good way of visualizing abstraction in a coherent and tangible way. And, um, and it's just, I just resonate on anything that can make me laugh and inspire, you know, and how many psychonauts games are you getting? So I always say like, if you, if this, this industry is, is really based around graphics at the end of the day. I mean, insomniac said a long time ago that they don't even worry about 60 frames per second because at the end of the day, it's the graphics that matter. That's where the reviews, the reviews come from. Um, psychonauts too looks, looks good. It looks, I mean, it looks great. It, it it doesn't doesn't have 4K ultra super freaking textures, um, and I think that I think I would I would prefer a voice more than I would prefer uh, you know 120 frames per second, yeah. whatever. Although yeah, I, well, I got to be honest, the lighting that you get in some of these newer games, I uh, it's it's amazing to behold, right? Yeah, for sure. I was just going to say, like, I mean, it's just all that stuff just comes down to personal opinion. I, I can certainly get why, uh, you know, Ratchet and Click, that game looked amazing. But it all just comes down, you know, when you're looking at choosing, you know, you know, game of the year, it's 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 so hard. And oftentimes it just comes down to to what game, you know, resonated with that individual person. What world work. do I want to live in? I mm. would be ha- more than happy to live in the Psychonauts 2 world. No, like Ratchet and Clank still, it's like I could be killed in three seconds in that universe, you know, (laughs) and I'd be the butt of a joke when they blow me out the face of the planet. So, so it's great. It's just, there's like 15 of those games, you know, how many Psychonauts 2 are you getting? I I feel like this is a game that might only have been made, you know, or published 
you know, by Microsoft. You know, there's not many other publishers out there that are going to, you know, take the, the chance on this. And, they, and they've done a lot of that stuff, too, you know, over the years where they uh, go in and, and and back something that is more for your core fans and, and maybe not have that, you know, giant, you know, triple uh, A, you know, like, you know, like Call of Duty style stuff like they've done. Uh, like Phantom Dust, they brought that stuff back, and and they've done, you know, gone back into their back catalog and and remastered stuff. So I just I'm just glad that Microsoft, you know, brought Double Fine in and and backed this this whole project because without them backing it, this would never happen either. Yeah, I mean they're 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 living up, they're talking the talk, they're walking the walk, whatever that is. Like they're living up to the shit that they said they would do, and. Um, I'm interested to see what they do next over at Double Fine. I mean, the cool part about Double Fine is they do these things called Amnesia Fortnites, where they develop in-house these these in-house demos, which ends up being their next games. My hope is that sort of thing continues, that culture continues, and they they get to do a lot of smaller games on top of a big game. You know, like the smaller games are really important because it's it's so tough when you're working on a game for two years to see the end of the tunnel and to even know when it's really over. Sometimes like even when crash was, I mean, Spyro was a year and then rolled into crash and it was always unclear. Even for me, were we done with Spyro? Like do that? Is that over? Yeah, it's done. But I was still working on stuff for Spyro after it was done, like marketing materials and stuff, you know? So like, and then I rolled into crash and then it's like, there's never really a party for the contractors, you know, but I know like, um, I know like, Tim and them do like a lot of online woohoo big big celebration and shit and so I just think like when that happens when you get a big celebration every twelve months right or maybe even six months if you can do a smaller thing um, that fuels the fire to do the big thing you know what I mean like yeah like rolling no, from one big thing to the next is not a good idea don't want to do mm-hmm. especially I, I would imagine if you're you know a smaller independent developer like they were before uh you know that would be hard and you're right they did do a lot of of those kind of uh the game jam type things where i think that's where costume quest came out of right their amnesia yeah, was amnesia it fortnite, fortnite. Yeah. they're all free on their youtube channel if you go to the youtube channel you can watch the amnesia fortnite 2012 2014 i think there might have been 2017 and then um the double fine adventure which kind of tracked the whole making of of uh, broken age and uh, those are all i always tell people if you want to know what game development's like go watch those that's a hundred percent accurate that's that's what it's like so um yeah but i'm excited to see what they have going forward though like uh what what they will be working i I, it seems like they're going to be working i think there was a an article that came out here this past week where Tim Schafer said that they were going to be working on an all-new kind of project so it doesn't look like they're going to be um, well, they make a lot of stuff people forget about. Like, I mean, if you ever play the cave, it's a great game. I did. You, you know, know why? Because yeah. I think the, uh, wait, I think it was the cave. Maybe it was another one. I think it, it released first on the Oya or really early on the Oya. Um, the Oya. The Oya. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> but I played it on there and I have, I had played it since then um, on, on some other platforms. They brought Ron Gilbert cool. back and he mm-hmm. did all the writing on there. And that's fantastic. And so, um, the great part about their their amnesia fortnites is people in the studio get a chance to play in roles they never would have had a chance to. So when I'm working on Crash, if we rolled right into Spyro uh, six thousand, um, I would be doing the same thing 
I did on Crash on Spyro 6000, right? But on Amnesia Fortnite thing, I could be uh, game designing. I could be doing sound. You know, like I could be doing directing. I could be doing things I would never get a chance to in the studio. And that's the, really the whole point that Tim was like, we don't have a way to let anyone in charge of this place if I'm gone. Unless unless I die and someone else takes over, we need to <laughs> start letting people in this in these studios do other things, you know, or we're never going to grow. And um, that is that's the smartest thing any mm-hmm. anyone can do as a leader is give your people and your crew a chance to find what they're capable of doing versus telling them what they're capable of doing. And I'm not going to say who, but I have worked for a publisher that uh, was very strict on what I was allowed to do and not do. And uh, that made me never want to work ever again, to be perfectly honest with you. So mm. I, I experienced that in the last year, you know, I ex- the highs and lows. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. How you can go from your best, your worst to, you know, to coming out of it. But um, as a creative, you know, money's important, obviously, because we have rents to pay. But um, as a creative, fulfillment is is even more so. Because if you don't feel like you're actually contributing or being fulfilled, in any way creatively, then you like there's easier ways to push buttons that don't involve sitting at your computer for 12 hours a day, you know, like, yeah, there, there are other ways. Well, I think you make a good point. I think it's also important too that, uh, you know, even when you're hitting those, you know, times where you are, you're at your lows is to continue to, to, to work and try to work through it and continue to create and stuff. And then and that's what you did. I mean, you continue creating, you continue pushing forward and that's where you're at now. And then that's how you got, you know, I imagine, you know, uh, the attention of, of Todd McFarlane and, and the other people over there. And, you know, so I think Look, that's even a, if the project never happened. He was like, Hey, you know what? Decide not to do it. Peace out. Shit, man. I got that fucking email and that phone call. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, you know, like, I imagine it's validation a lot, you know, if you ever would need it, you know, like uh, I know what to do tomorrow if everything stopped today and it didn't happen, which happens sometimes. Right. That's the way I know exactly what I'm going to do, you know, because and and sometimes that thing, you know, sometimes creatively you may not know which way to go. And it seems so obvious if you're if you're a fan of any artist, whether it's a musician, you know, an illustrator, writer. It always seems from the fans' perspectives like they know exactly what that person should be doing next. It's not so evident for the creator what they mm. should be doing next or what they even can do, you know, or what is worth doing. And and I have experience, especially in the last few years between the pandy and, and you know, friends getting sick, I'm dying, you know. Um, I have been, like, really aware of, like, if I put my time into this, I'm just losing life now you know <laughs> is, is yeah. this worth losing life over because i got you know <laughs> you know when you, you hit as you approach 50 you're like all right i'm understanding now I, this really solidifies what i should be spending my time doing versus not you know yeah it's it's it, that's an interesting way to put it but i i totally get where you're coming from and i mean it, i i totally get it it's like you know, I'm 40. I turned 40 this, you know, about a month, two ago now, about a month ago, almost a month ago. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, yeah. right. But you have to, <laughs> you know, yeah, I've, I've, I've sit there and, and question sometimes like, is this something I really want to put my energy and my time and focus into? And, you know, like there's all these other important things that, you know, I, I there's a finite amount of time in your day and especially in your month and, you know, in your life and you got to pick the things that are truly important and, and you want to invest that time into. And that's really, you know, where I'm at. So well, I could completely understand where you're coming from with that. 
this was the whole reason why I had stepped back from art direction on the magazine. It's not mm. that I don't love it. You know, I do. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love sure. creative game magazine. However, you know, there is a point where it's like, look, man, there are plenty of people who can make this, you know, like and who really, really haven't had the chance to. And there are other things that I would I would be better spent doing. It's always yep. a bummer. When I tell people, ah, I made a game magazine, like, why weren't you drawing? You're like, fucking dicks, man. You know, like, <laughs> like just check out the magazine. It does look great. Well, I never would buy a game magazine, but that, that one's great. I know, because I made it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> if you just read the stupid thing, you'd... but, um, but there, there is a, there is a point to that. Like, like if James Cameron came out and made the world's greatest game magazine, it'd be like, that's great. But when you're going to, that, you know, like, so, however, there are people who who that would be their best suited for. Like, like they could really fucking knock it out. Like, I I can't imagine, other than financially, like, why Dave Halverson isn't at least writing about games. Because he has a voice that is missed when he isn't writing about games. Hmm. You know? If Dave Halverson's out there writing pamphlets for Kawasaki motorcycles, which I assume he is at this point, um, what a waste, Right. Yeah. Right. What it's funny. I was actually just reading an article about him this week and, and stuff. That was interesting. So oh, yeah? it was like the, it was the, uh, it was an interview he had. I can't remember with who, but it was, uh, maybe it was, it was when he was announcing that basically, uh, uh, play magazine was, was going under. And I think it was like soon after he was launching game fans. So, Oh yeah. yeah. Someone hit him up to do that interview. I think it was the last one he did. He told me he was doing that interview. And I was like, good yeah, luck with that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm still trying to figure out how to make game fan at the time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for talking about something I don't even know how to do. But uh, yeah, <laughs> so hilarious. I think ten years of doing anything is a good run. You know what I mean? And like at that point, unless unless you are the king of it, like if you have an inkling to do anything else, it's always a good idea to do something else because um, being a, as well rounded a creator as possible. Um, will benefit any project you're on, you know, that, that, that graphic design skills come in handy so many times though, you know, like a lot of people I'm on with the indie games and stuff when they're like, Oh, we need a logo and this and that. And now who do we go to? I'm like, there, it's already made. Boom. They're like, well, how did you do that? I'm like, I know, I know it's print ready. They don't, none of them understand those tool sets, you know? So it's, it's always great. No, we're, we're happy to, to have you still doing covers and stuff, man. I think you got to, you, you touched on a lot of great points, you know, in this, uh, you know, talk, but I think it's important that, you know, as a creator, you, you touched on how fans always think that they know what you should be doing, but you, at the end of the day, you have to follow like your heart and what, you know, your motivation and, and, and what you're getting your fulfillment from. And so I could, I completely agree uh, with that. And the magazine so. looks great. I mean, think about yeah. this. If I hadn't done that, then who, who's Celine? I forget their name. You know, it's Dan. Yep. Dan, right? So Dan, mm-hmm. out the, Dan wouldn't get the chance to let, how many people are making magazines, man? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. so like one, uh, one, one project allows another person to work, right? The only time I feel bad in life is when I took a project from someone. I don't like that. You know, I don't yeah. like being, you're the guy who's going to replace this person. <laughs> That's like, oh man, you know, like. And I and I have done that. Like Unfortunately, asshole. I've been in that. Yeah, and everyone hates you. Someone started a whole Neil Gaff thread once, you know, just harassing <laughs> me over it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But I'm. I'm you don't. Proud you, of- you don't usually <laughs> want to have a thread on Neil Gaff about you. Um, <laughs> no, you don't. probably say that. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a big deal, but I'm like, fuck, they're they're really being brutal. Like, like oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
do without that. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show, man. Um, it's been awesome. I want, I want to quickly say, uh, is there any other, are there any other projects, uh, that you're working on that you want to, you know, touch on before we wrap it up? Uh, is, you know, drawing comics is like, man, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, look, be, 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 be responsible. When you take on a project, put everything you have into that one project. Don't multitask. I don't care. Even if you need the money, don't. Don't. Because whatever you're going to do, it's going to take away from the enjoy. What it does is you don't get to enjoy what you're working on. You're now managing what you're working on. And, and I just think it's important to enjoy the work. Even if it's hard, you get to enjoy. You get to focus on the creating of something is really the real reward. You know, like it's the one thing that money comes and goes. You'll spend it because rent's crazy and food. Mm -hmm. But but you never want to look back at something and go, man, I had time to do better, but I was juggling a lot of things. So I have learned to just clearly I don't take commissions. I don't have anything lined up. You know, if if. If I complete my work for the day, I will be working on the next part of that project ahead of time. Like, just put everything you have into one thing at a time um, and complete them. And I assure you, you will get better that way. All right. Well, thanks for jumping on the show uh, with this uh, sketch. Uh, we'll have to have you on again, but it's been great catching up with you for sure. Awesome to talk to you all. See you guys soon. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this week's show. I had a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode. But before we go, I want to quickly encourage you one more time to check out our Patreon over at www.patreon.com megavisions, where you can subscribe for a physical or digital edition of Megavisions magazine. We publish quarterly and issue two is shipping in February, so don't wait to jump on to the Patreon. This issue features an amazing Psychonauts theme cover by Sketchcraft, as well as a full review of Psychonauts 2 and our first developer retrospective, where we take a deep dive into the origins of Double Fine, the developers of Psychonauts, Brutal Legend, Grim Fandango, and many more. For our Sega nerds, we have a great feature by Graham Mason titled The Making of Comic Zone, where he gives us an inside look into the creation of one of the Sega Genesis's most unique-looking games. We also have reviews of Shin Megami Tensei V, Gainog, Knights of the Old Republic on Switch, as well as retro reviews on Tomba, Ninja Spirit, and Cyberbots. We have much more packed in this issue, so be sure to jump on the Patreon now so you don't have to worry about missing out. Go to www.patreon.com megavisions and subscribe today. 